Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Hey, hello there. Welcome back to another episode of The Burt Not Ernie Show. It's me again, Jan Burt, and here we are for episode number... 19, which means episode 20 is right around the corner. And it's kind of like my baby's growing up. My kid's going to be in their 20s or something. I mean, not really, but you know, episode 20, that's going to be cool. Okay. So today we are going to look at, um, we're actually, we're going to look at first Samuel chapter 21, and we'll kind of throw back a little bit to chapter 17, uh, chapter 17, just so you know, is David versus Goliath. And I feel like that's like probably the most well-known Bible story from the Old Testament. I mean, it really, it's right up there with Noah and the Ark and the creation story. It's not unheard of for um, even people who don't attend church regularly to know about David and Goliath. And we, it's still like a catchphrase. So this is thousands of years ago that this actually happened and people will still talk about the David versus Goliath situation. So uh, it has definitely been something uh, that is regaled through the years, down through the annals of history, and is used as a metaphor for those situations that we all come up against where we got to deal with something bigger than us. And we all love a David versus Goliath story when David wins. We don't love it when Goliath wins, but when David wins, there's something cool about that. So that's what chapter 17 was about. So I want you to have in your mind David versus Goliath, right? And as we jump into looking at 1 Samuel chapter 21, um, this is when David went to a city called Nob. I know that's a weird name for a city, but the city of Nob. And he was going there because he was like on the run. I guess you could even say he was sort of on the lamb because King Saul was planning to kill him. So chapter 17, David is sent by his father to go see how his brothers are doing. They've been conscripted into King Saul's army and the Philistines are there. And there's this, it boils down to their greatest, mightiest warrior, Goliath of Gath has challenged them. Like uh, you send out your toughest guy versus me, whoever wins, that settles it. We don't need to have a bloodbath here. Um, Winner takes all kind of a thing. And Goliath was well, he was a giant. He was a formidable foe. They say he had like six fingers on each hand. And um, he just was, he was a massive dude. So David shows up with some food and his brothers kind of get a little annoyed at him. Like, what are you doing here? And, you know, normal sibling rivalry kind of stuff. And he had already been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the, the future king. So I'm sure that that wasn't far from their minds because All of his older brothers had been the ones that Samuel had been like, nope, it's not you. Nope, it's not you. Nope, it's not you. David wasn't even there at the time. Samuel had to say to his father, Jesse, hey, do you have any more sons? Because like, I'm not hearing from the Lord that it's any of these guys. So I don't know that that's a source of any tension between David and his brothers. But, um, you know, it really could have been. 
it could have been a bit of a sore spot. Like, why are you, why are you here? We just really go back to tending sheep, shepherd boy, kind of a thing. You know, it's just brother stuff. Brothers are different than sisters. They can just be really cutting and snarky and it's just how it is. So um, anyway, he shows up to bring them some food and he hears Goliath issuing his challenge, send out someone to fight me, blah, blah, blah. And, um, David says, well, I'll fight him. So they send him to King Saul, who says, okay, you're kind of little and scrawny, but you can go fight him, but put on my armor. Well, King Saul's big armor did not fit David very well, and he wasn't used to it. And so he went out and he fought David with his weapon of choice that he used when he fought against bears and lions when he was watching over his father's sheep. And that would be a slingshot and not like the pullback kind that we give our boys when they're young and, and uh, you know, little boys not even little boys, middle age, middle school age boys love to shoot old glass. And I don't know what it is, but my husband and my son have always said the sound of breaking glass is just really, it makes a boy happy for some reason. So, but it's not like that kind of slingshot. This would have been like the Old Testament, the Benjamites that the tribe of Benjamin with their left-handed, you know, man, there was some stuff that could get done with a slingshot. So it was a real weapon. So he went and he picks his stones and he goes out to fight Goliath and Goliath is talking smack and David doesn't really talk smack and reply. He just states the fact that my God's got this. My God delivered me from the lion and the bear. And by my hand, this is the end of you today. That's it. And so um, he took a stone and a sling and sunk it into Goliath's forehead. And that's not what killed Goliath. Uh, what actually killed him is then David, who had no other weaponry, went to Saul and he pulled out, um, not to Saul, I'm sorry, he went to, to Goliath and pulled out Goliath's own sword and severed his head and then probably picked it up by the hair and held it up. And all of the Israelites were so motivated, the soldiers that were watching, and the Philistines would have been so freaked out that they're, I mean, is this a sign of what's coming? Like he is their greatest fighter. And this little scrawny teenager is holding his head by one hand, seriously killed him without any weapons. Yeah. So they ran and the Israelites pursued him and Saul was pretty happy. He was very happy with David's performance and he gave him lots of accolades and, um, and remember, but I do want you to keep in mind that, that the head was severed from Goliath's shoulders with Goliath's own sword. That's the sword that David used because he did not have another sword and Goliath was not dead. He was knocked out or something, but he wasn't dead until the head came off. So think about that. Keep in mind that sword that's going to be important in what we talk about today. And I hope that this will bless you in the way that it blessed me, because when I, um, when I, isn't even the right word, um, all I do is sit with the Lord and then he, it's all he, he does all of the, the speaking and the teaching and the leading. But when, when the Lord really showed me something from this passage, um, I never would have seen it without the Lord showing me. So I hope there's something in here to encourage you. And I hope I'm not the only person that has done what I'm about to share with you that um, that I realized I was doing when I read this. So I hope that's piqued your interest enough. Let's see. So fast forward to chapter 21. King Saul is not happy with David anymore. David is getting all the praise. The girls in the street would sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And it just was, he was just getting too many accolades. And um, I am, I'm not going to say what's not in the word of God, but at some point in time, King Saul definitely knew that David was going to be the next king. That meant that his own son, Jonathan, was not going to be king. 
um, he didn't know how this was all going to play out, but he really had begun to give himself over to some very dark things instead of trusting the Lord to do a work through him while he was king and then do his will, whatever would have been best for the country of Israel and for God's glory. He this really, at some point, this started to really bother Saul. So I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly when he knew because we know when Samuel anointed David, he had to keep it quiet and keep it on the lowdown because he didn't want Saul to become enraged and just basically uh, blow his top, which is what he was prone to do. So at this point, King Saul, chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, King Saul is just hacked off at David, to say the least. He's just hacked off. He's had it. He's trying to kill him. And um, for no good reason, right? I mean, like no good deed goes unpunished. That could be the description of this portion of David's life. Absolutely. So David went to a city of Nob because King Saul was planning to kill him, to just take him out. And this took place in um, what is referred to as David's rise in exile. And that is like just a little side note there, David's rise in exile. Think about that. Do you want it to be said of your life, Jan's rise in exile? No, we don't sign up for that. We don't volunteer for that. That doesn't sound very pleasant. We want our rise to be in the happy times of our life. We don't want our rise to come when we're in exile. Exile is a horrible place to be. However, if you are in a season of your life where maybe there's some area or more than one area where you feel like you're a little bit exiled, I've been experiencing some of that as I've been following the Lord's leading in in making space in my life so that I can potentially have some surgeries done and have a nice, nice is the wrong word, have plenty of room to recover, space in my life to recover without feeling like I've got to get back to this and I'm letting these people down in this area of ministry and that area of ministry. God has just said make space, but it what that makes space feels a little bit like exile, right? And I have a, I don't have the greatest immune system. We're in spring now, it's March, and I've had a winter that has been full of sickness and I don't want to be sick anymore. I feel like I catch everything. So I'm upping the ante on the precautions I'm taking. I know I'm going to have to be at home for a certain amount of time. I know that. I know that. I know it's a season of change for me. I know that I have two daughters graduating from college and I'm not totally sure what life will look like for one of them. One of them is technically already graduated, but she'll walk in May and she is nearby. Things are going well for her. She has a good job. Um, But the other one, you know, I know that's another, that's like, um, I can't say much about what she'll be doing because I actually, for safety reasons, can't say anything. But, you know, you think of like, I'm, things are going to be different and that feels like an exile. So do you have an area that feels a little bit like an exile that may be a time when God's going to do something? I'm going into this season thinking, God, I am expecting over the next six months or so you to do something or several things that really just surprises me. Help me in my time of exile to to rise up in the right ways, the ways that matter, to grow as a daughter of the God most high to be a better wife, to be a better mother, a better friend, to pray more, to deep dive into the word of God in prayer. Um, that's what I want out of the exile. But the exile part of it does not sound super fun. And I don't imagine it was fun for David. But so if you are, um, it's just good food for thought to think about David's rise in exile. It should kind of make us wonder, do we really understand that God does some of his best raising up 
God raises us up during seasons of exile, or do we just want the exile time to be over with, right? So um, remember that. Remember, and I'm talking to myself more than you, but remember that these times of exile can be both difficult and blessed at the exact same time. God can do both. It's not one or, it's both and both difficult and blessed. So expect the blessing from your time of exile and be excited as you look around and expect to see your rise in your exile. So anyway, back to chapter 21. So I'm reading that. And of course, I remembered chapter 17, David versus Goliath, because um, because that is when this chapter 21 talks about Goliath's armor. Um, that would have been probably his spear and his um, shield and definitely his sword. And I'm not sure what else, probably other things, but it would have been, this isn't really a museum in Nob where David went. It was, um, but it was a place where they had the high priest there, the priest Ahimelech, that's who's A-H-I-M-E-L-E-C-H, Ahimelech. He had those things there at um, whatever facility was there. I'm not going to say it was really a temple. There was should have only been one temple, but the, that place there, maybe the place where he lived, where he ministered and and served the people and served the Lord, Goliath's gear, armor, whatever you want to call it, was there, right? So that the weaponry that Goliath had intended to use against David was one of the ways that he was trying to instill fear in David, right? So follow along with me here. So David, we're back in chapter 17. David sees Goliath and Goliath has got all the big guns. And when you're intimidated by that, I mean, think back to the, um, the early stages of the Iraqi war, they called it shock and awe, you know, that, that we would just bombard them to no end with that shock and awe mentality, overwhelm them. That's sort of what Goliath was was going to do with his his weapons. Oh, he knew how to use them. But just looking at the weapons themselves were supposed to scare David. Fear. Fear works. Fear is powerful. And when you are in a military engagement or a military campaign, um, you don't want to be afraid, but you want your enemy to be afraid. Does that make sense? Part of the fear factor is just to the, what you look at, what the weaponry is that you can see, what you know is going to come against you. So the weapons that Goliath intended to use against David, that was just one of the ways that he was trying to instill a sense of fear in David. Now we fast forward to chapter 21. David is on the run from Saul, um, who he was just kind of filled to overflowing with an unholy rage. This was not any type of godly anger that Saul felt toward David. This was just unholy and you can read it for yourself. The word of God makes it clear that this was like an evil spirit would come upon him and he would be enraged. This was not holy. This was not of the Lord. This was bad. So David went to Nob where the priest Ahimelech was. And when he got there, Ahimelech was afraid. He was afraid when he saw David because David was there alone. So he wasn't with other soldiers. He was there by himself. And that is in chapter 21, verse 1. Ahimelech was no fool. He understood that Saul could kill him just for being in the presence of David by himself. Everybody would have known that David was running from Saul, that Saul wanted David dead. And probably most everybody would have known this was not just, but what are you going to do? You know, sometimes it takes a lot of nerve to stand up against a wrong like that. So that's neither here nor there. But Ahimelech was afraid. Uh, he most likely knew that Saul wanted David dead and that, um, or he maybe just suspected that David was not there on the king's business. And that could have been enough. 
That could have been enough. Are you handling the kinks business or not? If you're not here on the kinks business, mm, I don't know if I want to be questioned about this later on. So he was afraid. Uh, but David um, David lied. David lied to Ahimelech here. He stated that he was there on private business for the king. And then Ahimelech kind of relaxed a little bit and thought, okay, that's possible. That's possible. David was a mighty warrior. Uh, it could have been that Saul had sent him out to do things. Because even though Saul wanted him dead, there were other times when he was very um, kind and compassionate and supportive toward David. So it was a weird kind of dichotomy. It was really strange. So um, Ahimelech said, okay, that's that's fine. The priest, Ahimelech, then gave David the holy bread to eat because um, he had left so quickly he didn't have any food or weapons. And I love that. The holy, bed, the holy bread or the show bread, that's remarkable that David ate it. And also Jesus mentioned this in the New Testament. So um, yeah, it just reminds me, David eating the show bread, the holy bread that was not for just anybody and everybody to eat. It was, it was special, right? That reminds me of the fact that whenever we take communion, um, the holy one, Jesus, lets us partake of the holy bread that represents the sacrifice he made for us. So David had some bread. That's the food Ahimelech had, and he gave it to him. And then in verse 8, David asks if there is a spear or a sword that he can use. I don't know what Ahimelech was thinking, what kind of king's business David would have been on when he's asking him for weaponry. Why would the king send him out without any weapons? But um Either way, what he did was he said there was there was a sword available. Yep, I've got a sword here. It's Goliath's sword. It's Goliath's sword. David, you know, when we got this sword, when we acquired it as kind of a trophy for Israel, when you killed him on the battlefield in the Valley of Allah. So um, verse 9, 1 Samuel 21, verse 9. Okay, dial back in here. This is really important because this verse holds the words that jumped off the page to me like right off the page and straight into my heart. They didn't even have to go through my mind first and think about it. I mean, the Holy Spirit just pierced my heart with these. Verse 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 21, David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Okay, this is the weapon. Remember I said earlier, this is the weapon that when it, he originally laid eyes on it, it would have been strapped at Goliath's side and it would have been intended to um, or maybe in Goliath's hand at that point, but it would have been intended to strike absolute, utter, complete, and total fear in David's heart and to render him ineffective or minimally effective in his mission to take out Goliath in that battle. And now he sees it again and he says, well, actually, he didn't see it yet. Amalek said, I've got Goliath's sword. And he said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Okay, do you know those moments when in like a second, you have this whole all-encompassing new grasp on something and you know God gave it to you and you're thinking, wow, I really want to share this with my best friend or my husband or whatever, but you don't know how to share it because you got it all like in an instant download and you don't really know how to get it out in words. That is totally how I feel with this podcast. So I'm going to really try. I'm going to really try to get this out in words, even though I didn't get it that way. I got it as a, like an, a direct download. So this may not seem like a really big deal at first glance. I'm, I mean, he needed a weapon, right? What's the big deal? He was being hunted uh, totally unjustly. The sword was right there. Boom, right? 
But that's not what I saw this time when I read this chapter of my Bible. I saw it as an example from my own life, and I was convicted. I mean, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, and I don't think I'm probably the only one who does this, okay? So now I'm going to give you some backstory. In somewhere around 2010, I had a, kind of a mini health crisis. I had to have a wake-up call, and during that time, the Lord led me kind of on a pathway that went straight through that health crisis. I, it was kind of like when Moses lifted up his staff and the Red Sea parted and the Israelites walked through on dry ground while the pillar of fire held back Pharaoh's army behind them. That's how it felt. When I walked through that health crisis, I walked through on dry ground. The water was like heaped up on both sides of me. And it was amazing. It was profound. It was completely miraculous and it was easy my part was just to trust him and obey him, right? And it really increased my understanding of what it meant to um, run in the path of his commands. And that's from Psalm 119, verse 32. When I run in the path of God's commands, he sets my heart free or he sets my heart at rest. I really learned what it means to run in the path of his commands. I obeyed and God delivered, period. There's been like really no reoccurrence of those health problems that that issue has been taken care of. And that is not the norm when you come up against this kind of a circumstance. So it was all God. But during that time, even as the Lord was like parting that Red Sea before me and I was walking through on dry ground, trusting him and obeying him, I still had an active enemy. Satan was still trying to scare me. He was in constant pursuit um, you know, and the reason why is because our enemy never rests. He never takes a day off. He's always on us like white on rice, and that's not going to change. So he was always kind of skulking around and trying to impart fear, 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 fear. But the Lord was so near to me, and he just blessed me so much that I never felt any of that fear. I knew it was there. And I knew it was like arrows that were flaming being shot at me. But man, I was just so covered and protected. I did not have any fear. But like Goliath's sword, it was still real and still dangerous. Okay, so Goliath's sword did not scare David in the Valley of Allah when he took out his sling and his stone and then used that sword to cut off Goliath's head. He was not scared. Um, it's like the fear factor, my daughter. And there's a fear factor thing in um, at Universal in Orlando and my husband and my daughter competed and they got down to the final two. And so my daughter beat my husband in Fear Factor live. It's like this. Yeah. Anyway. So one time my husband said, I have a shirt just like that. And my daughter said, yeah, you do. But mine says champion. So anyway, yeah, she's a champion. But at the end of it, they say evidently fear is not a factor for you. You know, in that setting, fear was not a factor for David. And that sword did not move his needle at all. So much so that he picked up that hefty thing and took off this giant's head, probably in one fell swoop. I don't know if he had to do some hacking to get that head off, but he he finished it, right? He wasn't afraid. But the, the sword was still dangerous. I mean, he used it to take off Goliath's own head. It was a real dangerous weapon. So now, fast forward in my life to about oh, 2016, so a few years later, and I have this new diagnosis of... um. My diagnosis, and I'm not speaking this over myself, my diagnosis is heart failure. Before I even knew what was going on, uh, before my first formal cardiology appointment, apparently it had been uh, my um, 24-hour Holter monitor results had been sent to six different cardiologists, and they had all 
uniformly di- and separately diagnosed me with heart failure, right? So I am at an appointment thinking I'm going to just have some discussion. Somebody's going to tell me what's going on. I don't even know what's wrong. I just know I don't feel well. I've been through a lot of tests and things. And now here I am finally at the cardiologist and he looks at me and looks and he's, oh yeah, yeah. I was studying this last night and this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks at me and looks back at the notes, looks at me and says, you look really good for somebody dying of heart failure. That is how I found out that that was my diagnosis. I was like, what, what? What? Totally shocking, right? So um, so that's where I was at in 2016, a whole new dealio of health issues that was a little bit overwhelming. I was, I was very overwhelmed. So this is another fight of faith for me, right? And I'm still in it. It's 2020. I'm still in it. And I'm not giving up this fight of faith. And it is a fight of faith. And it's why the promises of God are so important to me, because they're my oxygen. I live by these every day. This isn't just me yapping at a podcast to try and rally the troops or give you a feel-good talk or something. I live by this. I'm just sharing with you what keeps me going from day to day. The most important thing in my life um, most days are the promises of God, the promises he's made to me. So I've got a new fight of faith going on in regards to my health. And here's why this passage jumped out at me and just, boom, pierced right into my heart. Just like David, I felt like I needed a weapon in hand, right? Just like David, I picked up the exact same weapon that my enemy had tried to use against me. Now, that first health crisis, he had tried to use it against me, but it was with no success, right? Albeit there was no success against me, just like there was no success with Goliath's sword against David. For David, it was a sword. For me, it was fear. It was fear. The enemy had tried to pummel me with fear and God had just kept it from touching me. It didn't even phase me. I just walked in trust and obedience and he delivered and it was amazing. But this time um, I picked up the fear just like David picked up Goliath's sword. And I went about this new health crisis, this faith fight for myself, um, praying from a place of fear, from a place of fear, even though I didn't really understand that at the time. I didn't really realize that I was praying from fear. The moment I read this this passage that day, I knew that the Lord was saying to me, you've been praying from a place of fear. David picked up Goliath's sword, the weapon that was meant to freak him out and overwhelm him. He picked it up out of fear and you're picking up fear out of fear. When fear was the thing the enemy used against you and now you circle back around and you're picking up that exact weapon. And I was praying from a place of fear. I don't know if you've ever done that or not, but um, it kind of looks like this. I'm praying God's word back to him, but with fear rather than faith. Lord, your word says this. Lord, your word says this, and we know it's true. And I'm hanging on to this and I'm not letting go. And kind of that, you hear that panic rising in my voice? That's what my internal voice sounded like, praying to God from a place of fear. Praying God's word to him. Yeah, I'm believing it. Yeah, but being really fearful in the midst of that, praying with more fear than faith. I'm not saying we'll never come up against fear. We will. We will. But 365 times the word of God tells us not to fear. So we got to make a decision what we're going to do with that fear when we feel it. And we can't let fear be bigger than our faith. It's What's funny, though, is that I was actually doing that as I was praying God's word back to him. I was still praying from a place of, of fear, fear, fear. So like running to the Lord in a panic state instead of sitting at his feet 
just with a sense of peace that comes only from him. You ever felt that way? Like the, are you going to take care of this? I'm, I'm antsy on the inside. I might be sitting here, but God, are you going to take care of this? Cause on the inside, I'm not sitting still. I'm coming unglued in here. When are you going to fix this? You know what I'm saying? Right. Hearing yourself say things like what I just said verbatim, like Jesus fix this. When are you going to fix this? Oh Lord, fix this. Father, fix this. Jesus, fix it. Jesus, fix it. Jesus, fix it. You ever felt that way? You ever prayed that way? Has that ever been your internal dialogue? You're more focused on the fear and the thing that needs fixed than you are on Jesus. That is using the weapon of fear. Like you're trying to pick it up and use it in your own fight. It's very, very dangerous to do that. It is still a dangerous weapon, but it's only dangerous if we pick it up and play around with it. You know, some things it's like we don't play around with. We don't let our little children play with steak knives. And there's a reason for that. It's dangerous. We don't want to play with fear. It's dangerous. So if you find yourself saying, Jesus, fix this, Jesus, fix this more than you so, than you feel yourself saying, Jesus, just let me sit with you. You're enough. You're enough, Lord, whether or not this ever gets fixed. If you find yourself in that boat, you might be dealing with fear. So here I was, I was trying to just use this energy that fear gave me. And it will give you like, you know, you can get that that kick of adrenaline when you're really fearful. So praying from a place of fear, you can get yourself kind of worked up and have kind of feel energized by it. Uh, and you can be using that thinking that you're going to move God's hand on your on your behalf. But you know what? It's look, it's not wrong to pray God's word back to him. But that that fearful attitude that I had, it was bleeding over into my prayer time and it had stripped my prayer time of the worship that God deserved. Jesus wasn't the center of everything at that moment in time. My fear was, my fear was, I did learn, I did learn to pray better about things with my heart from a place of rest. And like I just said, well, not just, but at the beginning of this podcast, when I talked about David's rise in exile, I am getting ready to enter a season that I know God has said, step back and rest. You have to rest now. It's going to be hard for me because I got saved as a, as a young adult in my early twenties. And I had been um, very blessed to be able to enjoy God's answer to my prayer early on. I said, Lord, don't let me be a pew warming or a, or a chair warming Christian. I don't want to just come in on a Sunday morning, sit down, consume, walk out, and that's it. Maybe I'll read my Bible now and then. Maybe I'll go to small group, but it's all about me and not about you. I saw that early on and said, Lord, don't let me be that. And he said, you got it. And he has not let me do that. And one of the best ways to grow up and mature as a believer is to be involved. You have to be involved with people's lives and live out your faith in every arena all the time. So I have not been just like a bench warming Christian and I'm thankful for that. But here I am all these years later, you know, almost three decades later, and I know God is saying, I have to rest. I have to come at this battle from a place of rest. And from that rest, my prayer and my praise will be a fragrant incense before the Lord. And I don't know if that's a word for somebody. I hope it's an encouragement for somebody. If God is saying to you, now is the time to rest, I need you to listen to him and obey him because he has a work he wants to do that will probably be more profound from your place of rest than it could ever be by you staying in the fight 
at a point when he's saying, you got to sit down and rest and let me fight for you. Sometimes he just has to step in and fight for us. And also, sometimes we feel like if it's not hands-on and we can't touch it and feel it, it's not real quality ministry. We don't want to admit that, but we feel that. We think that. Your time praying for other people that the Lord lays on your heart can bear more fruit than anything you could ever lay your hands on. It's very possible that that could be part of the work God wants you to do in this time of rest slash exile. Um, Okay, so if your prayer time is rooted in fear and it strips God of the praise that's due him, confess that to the Lord, tell him you're sorry, and then make a change, do a complete 180 and become a praising prayer, if that makes any sense. So um, I I do pray from a different place now. And when I talk about my heart, it's like I said earlier, I will say my diagnosis is, but I will not say I have. I'm not going to say I have these problems with my heart. That's not the loudest thing I'm speaking over myself. By faith, I say, God has healing for me. He has promised it. I don't totally know what path that's going to come on. I don't know what road I'm going to have to walk. I don't know if it'll be miraculous or through um, a series of events over time, but it doesn't matter because the whole way through it, I'm just hanging out with my Lord and Savior. It's pretty great to get to spend this time with him. So, okay, so pray from a place of rest and, and let the Lord's peace that Jesus promised you be such a part of your life that It keeps drawing you closer and closer to him. Does that make sense? It's like when you really love that certain dessert somebody makes, next time they say, I'm going to make this dessert, boy, you want to be there. You want to be there. You want to be there early and you want to get an early slice. And if there's leftovers, get another slice of that because it's really good. It draws you because it's so good. The peace that Jesus gives should draw you because it's so good. So in your time of rest, pray in faith, not fear with an attitude of praise, be a praising prayer, and let the peace that you get keep drawing you back to Jesus more and more, and you'll get closer and closer to him. Um, And then I have to, I have to just ask right at the end of this, because I want you to think about it. I've got about two more minutes here at a high end, probably less than two minutes. I want you to think about this. I have to ask you, is there any area of your life where you have taken up the weapon that your enemy was using against you and have you do you find yourself now fighting with it? Is that the weapon that you find yourself fighting with right now? If so, if there's an area that comes to mind, I just want to encourage you to lay it down and today just decide to rest in Jesus because that's his good and perfect and pleasing will for you today. Okay, that is it. I hope that this has encouraged someone or challenged someone. And if not, um, hey, that's all right. You know, if one person is blessed by it, one is enough. Is that not true? That is absolutely true. God bless you. I will be back here. I'm probably going to do another podcast this week. We're going to get to number 20. I'm so excited. And um, and I have some fun news about a new place I'm going to host my podcast. It'll still be on Podbean and Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all that, but I think I'm going to be um, creating a new website, janelbert.com. I have that website now, but don't go look at it right now because it is, it is, um, there may not be anything there because it is being sent to a new place. So I'm excited. And my podcast, I'm going to have a podcast player there. Um, 
and I get to make it pretty, you know, isn't that what all women want to make things pretty? So, okay. Thank you very much for listening today. Have a wonderful day, morning, evening, whatever time of day you're listening to this. And if I can pray for you, you can leave a comment. You can send me a message on Facebook. You can text me if I know you in real life. You can DM me on Instagram and I promise I will pray for you. Or you can even email me at janlbert at outlook.com. I'm very discreet about the things that I pray for. They're not anybody else's business, um, but I will pray for you. I commit to that. If you need someone to pray for you, if you have an area that you are not comfortable talking to somebody else about praying for you, you don't even have to tell me what it is. You can say unspoken and I will take it before the Lord and pray until the Lord says stop praying about this. So um, that is just, uh, that's my commitment to you. So Lord bless you. And remember, hang on to that peace, lay down that weapon that your enemy used against you and pray as a praiser. Thanks so much. Lord bless. Bye-bye. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day. And remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.